welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. This week, I spent just a fair bit of time thinking back over the last couple years. Uh, This is our last week at Green Spring Gardens, and it's helpful just to create space and time to reflect back and think about God's faithfulness. And I was thinking back to how much has changed for our family personally over the last two years. In late 2019, I had been accepted into a church residency, uh, church planting residency program in Arkansas, and, and there was no pandemic back then. So back then I would fly every other week to go to Little Rock, Arkansas, and spend time with these really great friends and mentors for months. Um, and then in January 2020, we started the process of um, just fundraising for what this church would become. And so that's about the time, if you wanted to mark kind of a starting point, uh, we started fundraising in January of 2020 uh, to, to make this dream a reality. And, uh, and I believe God was calling us to plant in the Franconia Springfield area. And uh, at that point, we were dubbed the Franconia Springfield Mission. So if you've joined kind of after the name changed, we started as the Franconia Springfield Mission. And then in February of 2020, so one month later, um, our son was born, who's out there in the nursery right now. And, and obviously that changed our lives completely. And the pandemic wasn't global yet. In fact, I remember when we were in the hospital with him, I was looking through my news feed to kind of write stuff in his baby book about what was interesting in the world in February 2020. And there was nothing interesting. I kept, I was about to write, well, there's some like little virus out in China, but who cares? Like, that's not that interesting, right? So this is, you know, imagine just one month later, what would be the reality? Um, and through our, our son's first month of life and through the sleep deprivation that happens in that month, I drafted our prospectus for the church plant and what this thing was going to look like, thinking about a plan and uh, got together a board of directors um, and I was going to present this uh, pr- prospectus to the board of directors of that nonprofit that had the residency program. And then by March, everything changed. And so the week I was going to fly out, I had to cancel the flights and we had to make that in-person thing uh, completely virtual. The other problem is that I had actually scheduled our very first interest meeting to kind of share about this church plant with some people on, um, on late March of 2020, I think it was the 21st of March in 2020. And it looked like the week leading up to it, I was still kind of 50-50 about whether we would have to do it in person or virtual. And then it became clear, Virginia locked down and that shut down my plans to do an in-person interest meeting. So our very first interest meeting about this church was on Zoom. Um, and that was really hard. The reality started setting in that now I was called to start this church in a virtual space. Like, how do you plant a church virtually? And I just am not wired for that. And, and so there, that's not something we had talked about in the last seven months of my residency. Nobody had prepared for this. Everyone's scrambling to try and figure out what to do. There's no manual for it. 
Uh, also, I'm a tired parent with a newborn at that point. Um, and so looking back, I would consider that a trial. Uh, there were trials in there, multiple trials that made up one big trial. There was temptation to hit pause or to throw out everything and wait until the pandemic was over. Because, of course, we thought it would only be a few weeks. And we didn't do that. I, and so one of the books that was really helpful to me in that period was a book called Canoeing the Mountains. And in that model, in the book, he describes a model of adaptive leadership um, using Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark had been tasked with discovering and then charting out the waterway that was supposed to lead from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. And, and you can imagine the, the frustration they ran into with this problem of the Rocky Mountains. So, you know, they're taking the waterway, they're getting pretty far, they run into the Rocky Mountains, and, and they're experts with canoeing and waterways, but they're completely ill-equipped for mountainous terrain. And so in order to continue the journey, they have to change all the ways that they're operating. They had to learn really quickly how to become climbers rather than canoeists. And that kind of leadership takes the courage to just constantly adapt. It is an issue of courage. And in not giving up, the trial actually created capacity for them to learn new skills. And those new skills were necessary as they were growing as leaders and growing as explorers. So now when I look back to the beginning of, of this church, I see God's hand of faithfulness in that. W was anybody on that original call? Oh, yeah, that's right. You guys, yeah. So we had one. So, so I look back. Yeah, you guys were too. So I look back to that and I think, how faithful is God in, the, in, in this amazing work of starting the church virtually? So instead of, you know, figuring out all the things we couldn't do, what we did is just said, let's just focus on discipleship. The needs of people have changed, but we're still going to focus on becoming like Jesus. And we kept on adapting to the needs around us, which seemed to change weekly with the pandemic. And being formed during the pandemic, I think, continues to cultivate in us God's grace in ways that wouldn't have happened otherwise if there were no pandemic. There's going to be a unique story that comes out of this in a church plant that formed out of the pandemic that not a lot of churches are going to have. And one of the challenges of the pandemic has been, where in the world do we meet for worship? Um, and so I remember our first in-person meeting was about two months after starting uh, to meet virtually. And our first in-person meeting was just a morning prayer, like a family morning prayer out at a public park. So I thought, well, how are we going to get Sunday mornings going? And what we, what we did is we started meeting at like Akatink last year. And we would meet there once a month to, to have the Eucharist together. And I rented the largest shelter they had, just in case. Uh, because who knows what the COVID restrictions are. If it says 90, maybe you can only have 30. It was changing every week as to how many people you could have. So I was really nervous that we wouldn't even be able to have the first service that I wanted to have. And, um, and then we found it uh, difficult to meet there as the weather started getting cold. I mean, you guys, are, you guys are amazing. Like you could have endured the cold you have before, but the problem is the bathrooms were gonna be locked as well. So that was just kind of like shutting the door on Lake Akating. And so as we prayed about what was next, what have you brought up? Hey, what about Green Spring Gardens? So, well, I've never been there before, but we should go check it out. And so we met um, a woman named Sam last year, last December, who you all have come to know. 
Um, and I think she'll be here a little bit later. She had some car trouble this morning. But Sam has been amazing to work with. So she, she was actually our first contact, showed us around, said, yeah, you guys can use this space. We're excited to have you here. And, you know, as you know, the, the limits of how many people we could have just kept fluctuating. But overall, man, this has been an amazing place to grow over the last 10 months. God knew exactly what this community needed in order to grow and to form and to begin meeting weekly because we've only been meeting weekly since June. I know it feels like it's been forever, but we've only been meeting weekly together here since June. And we've begun the nursery uh, in June as well. And so there's a lot of ways that this community, this uh, space is what we needed to grow as a community in fellowship and in the programs that we needed to minister to the kids of different ages um, to grow as a worshiping community around the word and the sacrament. So where to continue to meet had been a prayer request for a long time because this wasn't going to be the place forever that we needed to be. Because we've been preparing since the beginning for catechesis of the Good Shepherd for our ages three to nine. And we needed a space where we could do that. And even though they could rent the library to us here, um, I couldn't fit anything else in our car. And so storage was going to be an issue. We've maxed out the the SUV, the rolling sacristy. And so we kept praying about what space was going to come next. And that search had been pretty frustrating and pretty exhausting. We made a lot of phone calls and and did a lot of emails. I got a lot of no responses from people. It felt like a long shot, but I decided to call up the Springfield United Methodist Church uh, I used to see that building all the time because I would go to Trader Joe's and, or Bob and Edith's or whatever, and I would hear the church bells uh, from Trader Joe's. And so early in the year, their answer was, well, call us back in July. We're going to have a new pastor then. And so that felt like a no. <laughs> so uh, in the meantime, we kept calling and searching all kinds of spaces. Nothing was panning out. And then in July, we did call them up again. And surprisingly, the new pastor invited us in uh, to have a conversation. And after a few more months of prayer and more and more conversations, um, as you know, you've gotten the email now. That option, which seemed like a long shot, became a possibility and now is becoming a reality. But that process of waiting, man, we've been at that search for you know six or seven months that process of waiting was so formative. It was, it was inviting me and others to ask, uh, to ask God what my fears were uh, in that process. You know, and if I were to name some of those, it's, you know, what happens if we can't have older kids stuff soon? Are people going to leave? You know, you can name the fears that you have uh, in, in periods of waiting. And, and I had them too. And in some ways... It's really hard to to even call that a trial because in the grand scheme of the church's history, that's not really an earth-shattering decision. Um, But this did involve change, and it was a big deal to me. And so it was a a trial in some sense. Um, Change often brings us to a place where we have to trust God more uh, for something. And those places where we are learning to trust God more for something often involve trials and temptations. Where we find trials, we also discover a new opportunity to grow in our capacity to discover God's grace. 
So I am really grateful for Sam um, and, and her work with us. She has been so wonderful. And in fact, there are flowers back there for her and a card, which I will pass around during the uh, announcements that you can sign for her. Um, and, and just so grateful for her, uh, her presence among us. And I've been so grateful for Reverend Woodson over at the Springfield United Methodist Church. And God has been so good uh, to them. And then God has been so good to this church. And I'm really excited for the ways that once we get in there, how is that going to shape our church? How are we going to shape their church? How are we going to grow uh, in kingdom ministry together in, by uh, sharing space? It's going to be amazing. And even though I'm excited, I'm, I'm also a bit nervous about that because I know that growth always involves trials. Right? There's growing pains. And trials, when trials happen, Satan can use trials to derail us from experiencing the glory that you and I have as children of God. And from now through November, we're going to be looking together in a new sermon series at the Epistle to the Hebrews. Uh, That's what we'll be in. And in the Epistle to the Hebrews, what we hear is a pastor's heart calling out to God's people not to give up. Don't give up. They seem to be experiencing some kind of trial, not one to the point of death, but probably more serious than the inconvenience of not being able to find a worship space. These trials are causing some to wonder if following Jesus is actually worth it. And maybe they're thinking, you know, if I don't follow Jesus, are things going to be less complicated at that point? And would I feel more acceptable to the people around me if I stop following Jesus? Wherever there are changes in our lives and in our relationships, we are going to experience trials. And what happens when we experience trials is we can see the experience of trials as a threat to our life with Jesus. Or we can view them as the means by which we expand our capacity to experience the grace of God. Trials are an opportunity. In our passage this morning, the writer is encouraging his readers not to place their hope on anything less than Jesus Christ himself, who is the exact imprint of God himself, the word of God who created and who sustains the world. Another way to think of this is that we could say it like this. Take note of your trials, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Take note of your trials, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. This passage reminds us to look at Jesus when we're going through trials, which is the very thing that you and I are prone not to do. Instead, we focus on the trial and we think, well, if I've gotten into this mess, I can get out of it. Right. And so we focus on the problem and our own efforts to get out of it. The author in this passage that we read today, he uses three uh, images about Jesus to show the way that, that Jesus helps us in trial. First, Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. Second, he is the brother who brings us into the glory of being children of God. And third, he's the great high priest who is merciful and who is faithful to us. So to experience him in that way, I think what we have to do um, is think of our lives as pointing to a new age to come. That, and that involves first recognizing trials when they come. And then second, it involves pressing into the challenge of being a community. First, I think we can often 
uh, this can, it can be challenging for us to recognize what a trial actually is. It's rare that you and I see or hear demons. I mean, maybe that's more rare for some than others. But it's pretty rare. I've not seen or heard from a demon. And, but some of you have. But it's not that common. It, instead, uh, it's common in our experience that somebody... Uh, oh, and I should also say, it's also not common that you and I would have someone threaten our life for the sake of the gospel. Right? That's, uh, in, in America, in, in our current station of life, it's just not that common. So we can often miss what a trial actually is because we think of them on the extremes. But perhaps um, there's a health concern for you or a mistake that you made at work or there's a difficulty that you're having in parenting or a conflict that feels unresolved. We don't want to gloss over those life circumstances, but instead we want to be reflective about them and, and avoid the temptation to just minimize them. Trials, what they do is they tend to expose excuse me, our places of weakness and our places of vulnerability. And when we talk about weakness and vulnerability, that's the exact thing that we want to avoid exposing. It's potentially painful to look at those places, but that's where God's glory shines in our weakness. And that's why they make us more receptive to his grace. Where we're weak, Jesus is the pioneer who blazes the path for us into new creation. He's the brother that we walk with, who walks with us in it. And then he's the high priest who helps us and rescues us from it. And because Jesus is our brother, God's children have one father. And that should impress upon us the necessity of Christian community. So trials can accompany life. Um, You can think of unmet expectations. You can think of deep losses that you're experiencing. And they can also accompany relationships and relational difficulty. If you think back to your family of origin, there were ways that you did things because you were part of the Betway family. uh, Or you were part of the Integliata family. And in my family, in the Reed family, uh, I heard it said, even outside my immediate family, that if you're a Reed man, you have a bizarre sense of humor. It's just expected. And uh, that humor may or may not have gotten me in trouble numerous times. But uh, even, even if it did, uh, that is something that I value in my family. It's something that my fa- you can see it as a characteristic of my family. And when the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews mentions that Jesus is our brother... He's not trying to create a Jesus that conforms to our ideals. But instead, what he's encouraging us to become is is becoming uh, part of the family and experiencing familiarity, familial relationship with our older brother, becoming like our older brother in the same family. It's affirmation that just as the Heavenly Father perfects the Son through his sufferings, so you and I enter into the glory of God and being a child of God through similar experiences. It's, it's like the collect. If, if you pray a morning prayer. It, we've talked about that in our, in our formation group. On Friday morning there's a what's called a collect. A, a prayer for Friday morning. It says almighty God whose most dear son. Went not up to joy. But first he suffered pain. And entered not into glory before he was crucified. 
Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so we're not beyond the suffering of our older brother. That's part of being in the family. But the blessing is that in this family there is deliverance from trial. And even unto the extent of the fear of death, which is the ultimate trial. One of the other implications of this family is that we actually need one another. And in fact, later on in the letter, when we get to it, he's going to exhort the Christians not to forsake the assembling together of the brethren. So listening to a sermon or a podcast is really helpful. I do it all the time. But there is something far more transformative when we gather in person to worship. And when we gather together to serve one another when we gather together to love our neighbors well. And when we think about the family of God, we're, we're talking about an eschatological, uh, at the end, new creation type of community who is practicing heavenly realities while living together here on the earth. And multiple times of, of the day, we pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And when we consider the enormity of that family, we're brothers and sisters of all cultures, ethnicities, languages, and nations are around God's throne in the eschaton. It invites us into that difficult conversation that we need to have uh, to see reconciliation in God's family here and now. And so that means that we need the diverse stories of our brothers and sisters to shape us as a family. And it means that when there's conflict uh, in the body of Christ, that that's actually a beautiful opportunity for us to reimagine it as a trial and to, to open us up to more fully accepting the grace of God. So when Ashley, my wife and I, uh, will mentor uh, a young premarital couple, before they're married, what we usually tell them is something like, you know, if you're not having conflict, you're probably not being honest. Uh, you know, you'll hear the couple that says, oh, we never fight. Well, you just haven't been honest with one another. Then uh, one of you is not being assertive. And so conflict, conflict, even in the body of Christ, it can be productive. It's not an excuse to give up on the body, to walk away. But it's a trial that we could grow in, to, to grow our capacity to discover God's grace in community. And the, the reality is, wherever trial comes from, you and I need God's help. Jesus is our faithful and compassionate high priest who helps and who rescues us. So we've got to keep our eyes open for the trials that that come our way. Because when trials come, they open us up to more fully, uh, it it creates a, a fuller capacity in us to discover more of God's grace. And remember what we said earlier that we want to take note of our trials but we want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So some of you might feel like this morning you are in a time of testing. And if you don't this morning, you will eventually. Uh, You'll be in a time of trial. And rather than brushing off following Jesus as being too hard, we're focusing on the trial and how you're going to get out of it. Come to Jesus. Uh, Come to Jesus in weakness and in the vulnerability that we might be afraid of. Trust him as the pioneer who is forging your path forward to new creation. Trust him as your brother who sympathizes with you 
and brings you into the glory of being a child of God, trust him as your high priest who has done everything necessary to rescue you during time of trial. Let's pray. Increase, O God, the spirit of neighborliness among us, that in peril we may uphold one another, in suffering tend to one another, and in homelessness, loneliness, or exile, befriend one another. Grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciplines and testing of these days are ended and you again give peace in our time through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.